Good morning, City Bible Church. Today we begin a new series called Transformations. Our world has been disrupted and dispersed, and as a result of the coronavirus, there is a transformation of our society that is happening that we need to understand. God's people need to look around at the world around us and understand what is happening and being able to spiritually interpret what is happening. Uh, it reminds me of the men of Issachar from the Old Testament in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Uh, they were part of David's mighty men, and they were described, though a small tribe, they were described as men who had an understanding of the times and knew what Israel should do. We need to be like the men of Issachar during these times. We need to understand what is happening in our culture and know what the will of the Lord is for God's people. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16 that we can be experts at everything that is going on around us, interpreting everything that is going on around us in pop culture and in the news. We can be experts at that, but not be experts in the truth. We need to be able to interpret not just our cultural sky, he said, but to be able to interpret the sign of the times. What is the spiritual meaning of what is happening in our culture in our day? Uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 that we are to test all teachings, holding on to the good teachings and staying away from every bad teaching. And so the church needs to look around in our culture and have an understanding of what is happening and know what the will of God is for God's people. Our society has undergone a transformational reset. This is the first time since the flood of the earth and in the days of Noah's ark in Genesis chapter 6, 7, and 8, where the entire world at the same time has come to a standstill and is in the process of a global reset. Um, this is why the World Economic Forum back in May of 2020 brought together the, uh, the world's leaders. The World Economic Forum is, is kind of a clothing mandatory, burning man gathering for the world's global elite. And they meet together, and they came together in Davos, Switzerland, and the theme was called the Great Reset, a 50-point social and economic and political agenda to unite the world going forward. The world is going through a great reset right now, a transformation of what is happening. And as a result of that, there's all of these accelerating, innovative disruptions that are happening in our culture, innovative disruptions in the area of the blockchain, in the area of uh, artificial intelligence and robotics, in the areas of energy storage and DNA sequencing, as well as space travel. And so society is undergoing this reset, this transformation, all of these innovative disruptions that are happening around us to kind of accelerate change. But our society is also undergoing a spiritual reset here in the West. We are moving at an accelerated rate into the post-Christian age. This is a time when uh, people, one out of every three people here in the West, especially the younger the generation goes, describe themselves as, I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not into organized religion. By the time we're all able to sit in the back seat and look out the window of our fully autonomous robo-taxis, by the time we're able to do that, um, 
people who subscribe to I'm spiritual, I'm good, I'm just not religious might be in the driver's seat of society. The church cannot continue to decline here in the West or she will find herself in the back seat or at worse in the trunk of the car. And so we are seeing a transformation in society. We are seeing a transformation in how people view spirituality. And the church needs to look at this and say, what is happening? How do we speak the word of God? How do we share the gospel? How do we be the church amidst these transformations? And so we're going to begin this series uh, today called Transformations. We're going to be looking at different topics that are happening and being transformed in our culture. And how do we bring the word of God? How do we bring the gospel? How do we be the church in the context of those societal and spiritual transformations? So we're going to be looking at the topics of the transformation of money, the transformation of the family, the transformation of uh, what it means to be human, the transformation of spirituality, the transformation of how people see the priority of living in a green earth, the transformation of the church, not doctrinally, but in terms of the unique mission that she has here in the 21st century. Our theme verse for this series, Transformations, will be Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul said this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. That's our theme verse. Paul says that we are to submit ourselves to God. It is our act of worship. And as we do this, this is, this is how we don't conform to the world, but we are transformed. We are transformed by God as he renews our mind, and we are thus equipped to live out God's perfect and good and uh, pleasing will. And so today, this morning, we're going to be looking at the transformation of money. And what we want to do is, is two things. We want to uh, spend the first part of this uh, sermon talking about an understanding of the conversation that is happening related to money here in the 21st century and have an understanding of our times. And secondly, we're going to look at seven biblical reflections so we can know what God's people should do uh, during these times. And so let's look at what the conversation is on how money has affected our society here in the 21st century. And we'll just kind of take some major events that have happened over the past 20 years uh, as a survey. Number one, when the 21st century began, the stock market had crashed, it was in the process of crashing uh, because of the internet stock bubble, as well as our concern at the turn of the millennium of the Y2K uh, global disaster that never happened, that would have been an economic disaster, stopping all of the world's electronics and computers. That is what was feared. Now, that didn't come to pass, so if any of you want any of my old Y2K warning books, I'll give it to you for uh, 50 cents. Uh, but that's how the millennium began with this conversation on money and how the transformation of it was happening in our society. You skip forward to 2008, and there was the global financial banking and housing crisis here in the United States and in other countries. It ended up being what we called the Great Recession, the introduction 
of quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve and the other banks around the world. And there was a global financial crisis that took years to recover from. And then you fast forward a few more years and you go to 2016. And we were having this conversation here in the West of the 1% versus the 99%, the Occupy Wall Street movement, where we, people were paying attention to the inequality of wealth here in America, here in, uh, in the States, the top 1% today, the top 1% most wealthy people today here in the United States have 15 times more wealth than the bottom 50% of all of us combined. That's according to Forbes magazine, October 2020. The richest man in the world as of 2021 is Elon Musk. He's the CEO of Tesla, as you know. If you were to get paid $250,000, a quarter of a million dollars, every single day since the birth of Christ, you got paid a quarter of a million dollars. To this day, you would still not have enough as much money as Elon Musk has today. That's how rich the richest man in the world is. And then you fast forward a couple more years uh, to 2020. And we have the coronavirus. Businesses shut down. There have been a wave of bankruptcies in small businesses. Uh, we in reinstituted uh, at a dramatic rate, the most historic rate, quantitative easing, stimulus, um, and programs around the world, a coordinated effort by the world's banks. And in 2020, another conversation we were having is the, the mania, the casino-like experience of the stock market that happened as everyone was at home, there was no sports, so there's no online gambling on sports. And so all these people had all day long to invest in the stock market. Uh, this was a phenomenon as the millennials entered into the financial arena of investing and trading. This was recognized by CNBC, Wall Street, Bloomberg, all of these financial organizations. Uh, there was one analyst on CNBC the other day who said, we're living in a time in terms of investment and trading stocks where he, in his words, 18-year-olds are giving financial advice to 16-year-olds. Um, I saw a TikTok video the other day, it just kind of came up, um, and I thought it was a joke, but I thought it was a parody video on, uh, on how Robinhood traders, Robinhood is a, a trading app for your phone that a lot of young people have flocked to uh, over the past year, um, but it was this one couple, this man and this woman, they look like they're in their late 20s, and they were talking about um, trading and investing. I'll just read to you what they said, it's really short. They said, woman, she said, so how do we make money from home, she says. For, for starters, this is not a sponsored video. We just get this question all the time. And the answer is really simple. Man. So basically, I just trade stocks on an app called Robinhood. You can see the link in my bio if you want to check it out. It's a free download, free to sign up. They actually give it you a free stock, etc. And then he goes on to say, um, I know that trading sounds intimidating. But here's my strategy in a nutshell, he says. He says, I see a stock go up and I buy it. And I just watch it until it stops going up, and then I sell it. And I do that over and over, and it pays for our whole lifestyle woman. And honestly, my favorite part of this isn't the amount of money we can make, but it's the fact that we don't have to go to a nine-to-five jobs. Man, yeah, we can focus on the things that we actually enjoy doing. This is the conversation that people are having today related to money. Um, one more 
conversation, major conversation, a transformational conversation people are having today about money is in the um, focused attention and the emergence of pop in pop culture of cryptocurrencies. Uh, this is a massive conversation. Governments like China, uh, in China and Europe, um, are adopting cryptocurrencies as well as here in America, as well as around the world. Um, there has been institutional adoption now, as opposed to in years past, of cryptocurrencies, of these major banking firms, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Wells Fargo. You have um, businesses like PayPal and Square adopting cryptocurrencies. You have uh, or entire banking and finance uh, organizations around the world, like the Federal Reserve, the International Monetary Fund, IMF, the European Central Bank, the Bank of England, all acknowledging in writing that digital cryptocurrencies are here to stay in our culture. And the, uh, the main cryptocurrency is Bitcoin. Bitcoin was introduced in, um, there was a, something called the White Paper. It was a nine-page paper that was um, kind of uploaded to the internet by someone named Satoshi Nakamoto. That's a pseudonym for a person or probably a group of people who didn't want to be known. And in this nine-page document, they, they introduced to the world a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, financial uh, store of value system that eliminated the need for a third-party bank where people could have a trusted, safe, secure network of value where they all agreed uh, on this thing called Bitcoin, what that, as well as these other cryptocurrencies that came from it. And this is a big deal. The conversation today in our culture is that uh, will cryptocurrencies become the future of finance? Will cryptocurrencies uh, like Bitcoin become an alternative to gold or at some version of a digital version of gold? Uh, this is what some of the people out there in our culture are saying. Michael Saylor, he's the CEO of a company called MicroStrategies. He says, quote, Bitcoin is a dominant network that is unstoppable. Everyone needs it. Nobody can stop it. But very few people understand it. 99% of the investors don't understand it. But once they understand it, they all have to stampede into it. Raul Paul, uh, he's a former hedge fund ma manager, I think from Goldman Sachs or so. Um, he says that Bitcoin is eating the world. It stocks, bonds, dollar, gold do not compare to it in terms of its growth. There's a guy named Nick Carter from, uh, used to do cryptocurrencies for Fidelity. And uh, he says, quote, Bitcoin has some of the trappings of religion, but it isn't a religion in of, and of itself. Don't confound the two. It's a monetary system based on some embedded principles. It does not offer salvation or enlightenment. Um, and he's acknowledging that the people who are part of this world almost see it like a religion. I posted something on my Instagram and Facebook this week, um, making a commentary on Bitcoin and kind of relating it to the spiritual angle that Nick Carter talks about. I'm just going to go ahead and read to you what I posted. Uh, this is an excerpt from my upcoming book, Church Movement in an Age of Spiritual Exploration, that's coming out later this year. I said this, quote, the Protestant Reformation, the blockchain, and a post-Christian age of exploration all share the same trajectory. On October 31st, 1517, a German monk named Martin Luther published his 95 Thesis. Luther's 95 Thesis called out the abuse of doctrine and leadership in the church. It was the beginning of a reset 
This act would become the launchpad for the Protestant Reformation, a decentralized expression of the church separate from the central authority of Rome. On October 31st, 2008, Satoshi Nakamoto, a pseudonym to hide the person or multiple person's identity, uploaded the white paper. The white paper was a nine-page document detailing how a new decentralized peer-to-peer -peer digitized monetary network could solve the problem of third-party interference in our daily financial transactions. This became what we now know as the, now know as the blockchain. Cryptocurrency is its decentralized expression of value. It began a reset in the world of modern finance. Decentralization. Luther started an analog movement that decentralized the church. Nakamoto started a digital movement that decentralized our exchange of value. What will an increasingly atomized society mean for the church? Are we at the start of an age of decentralized spirituality? If so, where might this lead us? Will we be pre prepared to live out the centralized message of the gospel in this type of world? The greatest decentralizing act of the past 2,000 years happened when the Holy Spirit was given to all who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, educated or uneducated. Each of us who believe have been equipped for the work of ministry. The releasing of the church to move with God is the rocket ship we want to be on for the church to prevail in the 21st century. That is the conversation on the transformation of money in our culture. And what we want to do right now is we want to spend a few moments going over seven reflections to remind us of how does the church move and minister? How does she anchor in the word of God? How does she live out the gospel of Jesus Christ in a changed life? How does the church come together to be a transforming uh, city on a hill, to be salt and light of the earth? amidst this, these transformations that are happening in society related to money. And how do we live set-apart lives because of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to the glory of God in the community of the, the church. And so let's go over uh, seven uh, brief reflections on how we are to be transformed uh, amidst a world of money and how we're transformed by God. Number one, God's people recognize that money is spiritual. Money is spiritual. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that uh, we cannot serve two masters. We either serve God or we serve mammon. Mammon was money. We cannot serve both at the same time. Money was one of the few things that Jesus compared uh, to God as a rival God. And he said you cannot serve both. Money provides for us. Uh, money um, allows us to, uh, to help the world and the people around us. But it is not to be our idol of worship. And he went on to say that where you put your treasure in Matthew chapter 6, where you put your treasure is where your heart will be. Where we put our money is where what our heart cares about. And so if we are putting our money towards the things of God, we will care about the things and the people of God. If we are putting our money only towards the things of the world, even beyond our, our normal needs, but going fully into our wants and dedicating all of our money towards that, then that's where our heart will be. And so we want to ask ourselves first is that, do we remember that money is spiritual? Uh, money has the power 
to get us to care about us. It has the power to uh, move us, to devote our lives to it. Um, it has the power to see people sacrifice their lives for it. Uh, it has the power to make us feel alive, to make us feel a sense of human peace. It has the power to immediately anger us when it's taken away from us and to worry us and to consume us with anxiety. Money is spiritual, and that is why it has that kind of power over us. And yet, Jesus is saying to us in Matthew chapter 6, we are to remember it is spiritual, and we are to serve God first, not money, and then that will put money in perspective for us where it will lose its grip on us. It will lose our power, its power on us. So money is spiritual, number one. We are to remember that. We are to be transformed by that truth as God's people. Number two, we are to remember that we are transformed by the kingdom of God to remember that money is to be used to accumulate treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven. Again, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 that we are to not store up treasures for ourselves here on earth, but we are to store up treasures in heaven with our money. In other words, we are to use our money here on this earth, not just to provide for our needs, but to invest in the kingdom of God. And as we do that, as we use our money to um, help God's people, to further God's work, to strengthen the church. As we use that, uh, we are storing up treasures in heaven and not just storing up treasures on earth that we can observe and yet we will leave behind or that moth and rust and thieves will come and take from us. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He said, Command, he told Timothy, Paul told Timothy, command those who are rich to, uh, to be rich in God, uh, God's good works, to be rich in good works, and not to pursue riches, uh, but to pursue God's good works. There's nothing wrong with being rich as a Christian. There were rich Christians who supported Jesus' ministry, um, as well as Paul's ministry, but we don't want to pursue riches over the, to being rich in God's good works. And so we want to ask ourselves, am I storing up treasures in heaven and how I'm using my money is being used for God, for God's kingdom, for God's people, or am I storing that up for myself? And if I'm rich, uh, which we define being rich as simply, uh, my functional definition of being rich is if you have choices in life, if you have choices, if you have choices on where to eat, where to live, what vacations to go on, then you're rich by definition uh, compared to the people of the world. And so we want to be good stewards of our money. We want to remember money is spiritual. We are to use it to store up treasures in heaven. And thirdly, we want to remember that God provides for our needs. He provides for our needs when we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Again, Matthew chapter 6 uh, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things that you need will be added unto you. They will be taken care of by God. He said earlier in that same chapter that um, God provides for the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, etc. And he cares more um, about you than he does about his physical creation. He cares more about his people and so if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, 
God will take care of your needs. Um, I, and I, I can testify to that. Um, Lorraine and I have lived in abundance. We live, we've lived in scarcity. Uh, we're, I remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, where he says, I know how to abound and I know how to live in need. I know how to be content in all circumstances. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul, speaking to the Philippians. And so Lorraine and I, um, throughout our, our entire marriage, we've had years of scarcity and we've had years of abundance. We've had, and even in those years of scarcity, um, there were years when we, we just committed. We said, we're going to give something like 20 or 20% or more of our monthly, uh, whatever we receive monthly, and get monthly. We're just going to give it away to the church and other people that need it. We did that for years, and God always provided. I say that not to draw attention to us, but to draw attention to God, that we took a step of faith for years and continue to this day, and God has always provided for those who seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. And today we live in abundance compared to how we used to live, and we want to be faithful in that, but remembering God always provides for our needs. Number four, uh, we want to remember that God's people are transformed to look at money when they're faithful, when they're faithful with their money. Uh, God entrusts spiritual authority, spiritual responsibility in his kingdom to those who are faithful with the money that they have. Uh, Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 16, he said, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you true riches? Jesus, Luke 16. He is saying how you handle money is uh, a determinant for the kind of spiritual authority and responsibility God entrusts you with in the kingdom. If you are faithful with handling the money that you have, if you're investing it in his kingdom, if you're responsible with it, um, if you're not greedy with it, if you're not idolizing it, but you're using it to seek first the kingdom of God in righteous ways, uh, you are showing that you are faithful with the little money that you have and God can entrust you with more. But if you, we are unfaithful with the amount of money that we have, God cannot entrust true kingdom authority into our hands. Are we being honest with our money, church? Are we being generous with our money? Are we being sacrificial with our money? Is our money directed just towards our needs and our wants? Or is it directed towards um, God's kingdom? And because God looks at how we handle money, because again, remember, it is spiritual. It's a rival God, Matthew chapter 6, God or mammon. And he wants to see if we are faithful with that. And so we want to be. We want to be used by God. And as part of that, we want to recognize that God uh, trusts his kingdom into those who are responsible with their money. Sometimes people abuse money and they seem to uh, have a lot of responsibility in God's kingdom, but um, that's counterfeit. We want the real thing. Number five, we want to be transformed in a culture of money by recognizing that we don't want to be greedy for money. We don't want to fall into a temptation or a trap by focusing on money too much. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, it is not a sin per se to be rich. Uh, what Paul is saying is this consuming desire to be rich. Um, the love of money, he says, is a root of all kinds of evil. And so are we a people that is known, that are known as greedy people? Are we a, a people that is known as stingy people? Um, are we a people that are known as people who are just consumed with wanting to be rich? That was actually a mark of false teachers, is their greed and wanting to be rich. Paul warned um, the Corinthian church about that. And he says again in 1 Timothy chapter 6 that it can be a temptation, it can be a trap. Some people have wandered away from the faith and they have been pierced with many pangs, which means that their faith has fallen or perhaps they have fallen away from the faith because of money. Do you know people like that? Have you felt that temptation? Um, I have recently. You know, when I think about being, trying to be faithful with the money that God has entrusted me with and then just the pull of wanting to be rich, uh, I remember uh, just about a month ago, there was this new video game that came out called Cyberpunk 2077. It was the most anticipated uh, video game that came out for uh, PlayStation and Xbox and so forth. And I, I don't play it, but I, I was reading the news, and uh, this, this video game had been in development for 10 years, and it was just released um, just a couple months ago. And uh, it turned out that there were all these bugs in it. There's all these computer glitches in it. It was probably the biggest video game failure in the history of the release of video games. And uh, there was an announcement. I just happened to be looking on my newsfeed when they announced saying that they were recalling all of Cyberpunk 2077. And I saw that and I immediately thought, you know what? This could be a historical moment in video games. If you have a collector's edition that's unopened, and uh, maybe five or ten years from now, that's going to be worth a lot of money. And so I just felt this, this desire to, to get one, save it, and to make money off of it. And then I just kind of looked at the storyline of Cyberpunk 2077, and I said, it said, you know, there's a lot of it's, uh, uh, mature audiences, and there's a lot of adult themes, and I just said, you know what, that's not me. You know, I don't care how much it becomes or doesn't become, uh, I, I don't want any part of that. Uh, but I felt that for a moment, but I felt, you know, i got to be faithful. Uh, as, as dumb as that is, that, that fleeting moment of weakness was, um, i got to be faithful to that. Maybe it's not uh, the acquisition of uh, a failed video game in your life or lack thereof, but what else is it? That you're feeling the temptation and the pull and how you're using your money and you're feeling it can be a temptation and a trap and you've got to resist and be faithful, be a good steward, store up treasures in heaven. Another example is... I had some money uh, that I was going to invest in this one pharmaceutical company. And I did some research and found out that they were involved in um, some kind of genomic research that crossed an ethical line for me as a Christian. And so I decided not to invest in them, even though I knew, I just knew that they would, uh, the value would go way up. There's another company that has, get this, they, um, they're a small company, but they have this uh, biotechnology. It's a chip that gets placed into your arm for three months to monitor glucose, your glucose level. This is for people with diabetes. Uh, your glucose level, and then it transmits that 
that signal to your, um, your Apple Watch, and you can monitor that for three months by just having this chip inserted into your arm. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, you know, that, that is just two end times for me. I can't um, invest in this even though the stock became really valuable in the end. Um, we don't want to be greedy for money. And it overcomes our Christian um, understanding of the sign of the times. Number six, we want to be generous with our money. We want to be generous. Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Um, Again, we mentioned this before, but the importance of being generous, to store up treasures in heaven. And uh, how is God asking you to use your money to be generous to those who have very little or who are in need, especially in the body of Christ? As you guys know, uh, a little under a year ago after the coronavirus started, our church started a fund called the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund. Uh, This is where Paul says in in that passage, um, let us not grow weary in doing good, but let us do good unto all people, especially those who are in the family of believers. And so we started this fund that was a separate fund for people to donate to outside, above and beyond their normal weekly offering. And to date... I think the fund has, has uh, received from donations from people inside and outside of our church close to $30,000. That's not the offering funds. That's above and beyond offering $30,000. And we have um, given that away. I'll just give some examples to believers. Uh, almost all of these people examples are people in our own church, the vast, uh, almost all of them. There was four people that we helped out in our church that were unemployed. Uh, We helped five people out through this fund who were underemployed because of the coronavirus. Uh, This is all in the past year. One person that we helped out had their hours, work hours reduced by 50%. One person that we helped out had their work hours reduced by 25% lost income in both of those instances. There were four families that we helped out from this fund financially uh, from the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund. Uh, There was uh, one person... That, uh, that we helped out with that was month to month in terms of their finance finances, just living month to month in terms of their paychecks. One person we helped out uh, was living on food stamps and doing DoorDash to make money during the coronavirus. And so, um, well done, City Bible Church. Uh, the, Je- the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund, you have shown yourself to be generous people. And maybe God is asking you on a personal level to be generous, especially to those in the body of Christ with what you have been entrusted in, whether that's on a personal level, the Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10 fund, or even uh, in offering to the church. We want to be generous. And so we want to recognize that money is spiritual, that we are to put our treasures in heaven, that God provides for our needs, that we want to be faithful. We do not want to be greedy. We want to be generous. And lastly for today... In the transformation of money in our culture, we want to recognize that we are living in the end times. And this is the big picture view. I can't help but recognize that in Revelation chapter 13, the Apostle John talks about how in the end times, the world will move to a cashless society. This is the time when the Antichrist and the false prophet, energized by Satan, uh, take control of the world. These, this, this military and economic and political leader of the Antichrist and this religious leader, the false prophet, 
who caused all people to bow down uh, to this image of the beast. And uh, they take control, uh, John says in Revelation 13. And he says that uh, no one could buy or sell without the mark of the beast, which is the number of man, 666, that uh, whether it's the actual number or that's symbolic of something else, I don't know, but it says that people will receive a mark on their forehead or on their right hand, and no one could buy or sell without that mark. Christian, you do not want to receive this mark. I believe that God will take his church away in the rapture before this happens in Revelation 13 so that we don't have to undergo uh, the great tribulation. But if you are listening to this either now or in the future, and, um, and this comes about, which our society is moving towards, you are not to receive the mark. It is better for you to be martyred for your faith than to receive the mark of the beast because um, you will not be ent uh, allowed entrance into the kingdom of heaven to, if you receive the mark of the beast. And so we want to recognize that in, in this movement, I believe that our movement towards a cashless society, which is not just... Uh, something that happened right now or recently. You can go back to credit cards and, and electronic money or electronic accounts and all so forth. It's just culminating now. How long we have left, I don't know, but I know that we are moving towards a cashless society. We are moving towards a monetary system that's attempting to unite the world. Will that happen in our lifetimes? Maybe, maybe. And if it does, it is um, one of the major signs that we are living in the end times. And that is very important to recognize about the monetary conversation, about the transformation of money away from a bartering, agrarian uh, culture to a culture that dealt with coins and silver and gold and gems to a culture that deals with paper money, to a culture that deals with digital money and cryptocurrencies. This is where this is all leading, I believe. And it's important as a Christian because as the Apostle Peter reminds us in 2 Peter chapter 3, when we remember that we are moving towards and even living in the end times, it should move us to living holy lives here in the present to rededicating ourselves to the Lord. If you don't have much time here on this earth, which we are to live as, as Christians, as if the Lord can return at any moment, uh, it is a great motivation, a great urgency for us to live holy lives, to make sure that we are right with the Lord. If we have backslidden, come back to the Lord, church. If you are out there and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, this is the day to give your life to the Lord. Uh, and the transformation of money, this conversation, is an important reminder that the Lord is going to return soon. If you're out there and you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 10, he said, if anyone confesses, believes in their heart, if anyone believes in their heart that Jesus Christ has risen from, from the dead, and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord. If you confess with your mouth that you want to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord, and if you believe in your heart that he has risen from the dead, that he has overcome sin, that he has overcome death, that and you place your faith in that, and you follow Jesus, you will be saved, Paul says. And so I pray that you would do that. Church, we are living in transformative times. 
And the world is changing. It is accelerating in its movement towards a disruption of society and all of the innovations that are happening. What is our world going to look like in the future? What is the future of money going to look like? Uh, we don't have to know exactly the outcome of that, but what we do have to know, what we do have to trust in, is that God is in control and that God has a plan that he's culminating human history. He has told us about this beforehand in this book and uh, that he wants us to be right with him. He wants us to use this moment as if it was our last day, our last week, our last month, our last year here on this planet to take the money that God has entrusted into our hands and to use it faithfully, to use it generously, to not idolize it or be greedy or stingy about it, but to use it to store up treasures in heaven for the kingdom of God. And God will bless that both now and in eternity.